I'm your host, Tally Goff, Assistant Professor of Literary Theory and Cultural History at Cornell University. Born in London and based in New York City, my research negotiates what it means for me to be a Black woman from the United Kingdom and the haunted legacies of other Atlantic crossings. I explore these questions as a writer, curator, and a DJ, specializing in the narratives that emerge from histories of race, debt, and technology. My research is rooted in literatures and theories of labor that center Black feminist engagements with indigeneity and Asian diasporic racial formations. Much of my art and sign design practice explores what it means for me to be of Afro-Asian heritage, Committed to forming intellectual communities beyond institutions, I am the founder of the Dark Laboratory, an engine for the study of race, technology, and ecology through digital storytelling, including virtual reality and DJing. And I'm Shannon Gleason, a sociologist and professor of labor relations, law, and history at the Cornell ILR School. I also co-direct the Migrations Initiative here at Cornell and I'm an affiliate of the Latina and Latino Studies Program in Brooks School of Public Policy. My research sits at the intersection of labor and migration studies, draws on both qualitative and quantitative research methods, and is inherently comparative and transnational. My work is interested in how low-wage workers mobilize their rights, the importance of state actors in driving and sometimes mitigating the precarity and the role that civil society organizations play in implementing policies and helping workers navigate regulatory bureaucracies. My current book focuses on the role of immigration status in driving workers' experiences and the specific ways that race and gender intersect with various forms of legal status. I'm the daughter of an Anglo father and a Mexican immigrant mother, and many of the themes that we discussed this summer were deeply personal to me. And we were privileged to be in conversation with 30 colleagues this summer who hail from a variety of disciplines, including art, architecture, Africology, design studies, geography, history, literatures, sociology, and many more. In this episode, participants from the Cornell Migration Summer Institute, Hashem Abushama and Nisreen El Amin, sat down with Cornell University professor Samia Hani. They represented the Turtle Island and Palestine group, which also included Erica Violet Lee, Elspeth Iralu, Brenda Tawil, and Anissa Jackson. So I, I, we wanted to ask you, in light of all of this, uh, how do you think about time? Uh, and how might we narrate a past, present, and future uh, through through these maps, um, which are both limiting and delimiting? Yeah, I think the notion of time, but also the notion of map is very important because the, the map or a cartography is about uh, representing time and space in a... In a, in a physical format, you know, it's a paper, it's a screen, but it's a format or a platform that we can, that we can see. Cartography, it opens up different times, different spaces, but also dimensions. I think what's for me um, very important is not to, to uh, you know, like make cartography static. Uh, I, I, I 
I think of of time as as a of course nonlinear, but also as something that sometimes cannot be really defined uh, because we exist in different I think dimensions of time uh, and also different relationships with other subjects, but also other objects and other geographies in general. So the the idea of um, of n- not defining it makes it difficult, of course, but also opens up this possibility of, uh, um, yeah, of an otherwise. Uh, in in the work that I am right now doing, uh, this is this is another book. It's called um, Colonial Toxicity. The French I'm in southern Algeria, so this is in the Sahara. <laughs> um, this is really maybe it's a very long response to your question, but I am, uh, the the notion of time here is really really important uh, for me because the it's uh, this colonial toxicity is mapping uh, French nuclear program in the Sahara. Uh, this you know it started let's say the idea of implementing the nuclear program started like around the Second World War, but the decision of uh, uh, choosing the Sahara was made in 1957, but the first bomb was detonated in 1960, and the last one in 1966. And then they moved to the, the, to, to the Pacific, another colonized territory, and didn't stop there. But the fact that the archives uh, of, of these, the institutional archives, so the, the civil and military archives of this very program is are classified. So they are not open to the public. And for me, the, the fact that they are not open to the public, you know, because they are, for the French, they are considered, um, you know, national defense, etc., uh, etc. Et but in the meantime, people in, in the Sahara are really suffering from the consequences and the toxicity and the radioactivity of this program. So this idea of time that the French, the, the uh, authorities do not really care about the time of this radioactivity, I, I do care about it. So I do um, allow myself as a historian to work on a history that cannot be written because the archives are classified. But I, 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 I do um, think that because the archives are classified, this history has to be written and has to be written through other times. For example, the time of um the building themselves i give you one short example there are other times and other 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 ways of creating archives eh? or possible archives you know through oral history through um all kinds of reports medical reports as well but really the the idea of the biography of this building so the time of the of the creation of the building um so there were there were two big centers um i can concentrate on one in the Gen region um, it was uh, built, used for these uh, nuclear bombs, and then dismantled. And some of these um, elements or these uh, uh, parts of these buildings were earthed, where um, uh, you know they they uh, dug really big, huge holes in this in the in the Sahara, and they buried these elements. Um, and of course, you know. This is the Sahara, it's in the winds of the Sahara, but also the Saharan population started to unearth these elements. So you, you, today, if you go to some of these uh, zones, and there are still military zones, you can still see 
the deformation and you cannot see the radioactivity, but you know that these are radioactive, you can measure the radioactivity of these buildings. But the time of this of this building, of the life of these buildings, and made, you know, the, the fact that it was an, it was buried, it's unearthed, and now we can find some of these parts of these buildings in houses of the Saharan population. So this is for me, you know, mapping the time of the existence and the toxification um, and the the buried, the, the coming back, the reuse of this building becomes almost like um, a dimension of time that um, allows me to write these histories. When there is something that cannot be done, when, when for example, in, in this case, there is almost like a denial of these histories or like a, a, a denial of access to these documents or these evidences. Um, one has to disobey to this by finding other ways of mapping, of uh, finding evidence, of creating another archive that is not you know, institutional. It can be social, it can be physical, it can be imaginative, futuristic, etc. to really um, create, allow for these narratives and for these violences to be exposed. I think this is for me, this is the power of cartography. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I'm just listening to you speak. I'm, I'm so inspired by your work. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you for, for the work that you're doing. Um, so we're going to shift a little bit uh, to ask you a little bit about your political commitments. Um, and uh, so we want to ask you what you see as the role of Palestinian Black and Native solidarities in mapping or imagining the futures of Palestine and Turtle Island. What do we need to keep in mind when thinking through these relationships of solidarity? I know you've done a lot of work uh, in solidarity, um, you know, with uh, with Palestinians and um, yeah, so I, we just want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. If you speak out and if you uh, expose your solidarity, all of a sudden this is political. And for me, this is not political. This is, you know, the way that I'm doing, if they want to ask to call it political, it's political, but I am a subject of that colonial project. It's my life. It's not about the political. It's about my existence and my survival. So when people start to say, oh, you know, what you do is political. So I am a political subject. Maybe for, for those who are thinking that this is a political work, maybe I'm a political subject, but I am a subject that is coming out of that colonial project. So that colonial project made me. So that's not my fault. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> somehow it's exactly what they produced. You know, they produced us. Good. What do we, how do we deal now with coming, you know, together to think of our existences as part of this project? You know, I'm not denying it. I want to understand it. I want to study it. And I want to make it possible together with other people who can understand what we are doing and what we are living in and who we are as subjects. So I'm not doing my work for my career. I'm doing it because I am it. This is for me a very, very important, uh, um, let's say, uh, part of my work, of myself. Uh, uh, by doing this, you do expose yourself. And unfortunately, you receive threats. Uh, 
you 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 are uh, not supported by a number of people who think that your work is political, and even though they hired you <laughs> because of what they call you know diversity, inequality, and inclusion. So I'm very, let's say, um, yeah, suspicious or or unsatisfied when when people categorize this work as political. Solidarity is very important. Why? Because I think um, when you join forces, when you try to and listen to others and to really come together to try to understand, you know, what are the various ways of existing, coexisting, also surviving and existing the way we are, not existing according to a... Um, uh, let's say, program or a, uh, a policy or a format that we need to fit in. I think that's, for me, a very important uh, way of living together. It, it's not a political statement. It is a, a very necessary way of coexisting. You know, I'm thinking about the political more in relation to sort of the way that Audre Lorde talks about the personal being political, right? So, but I, I, I totally hear you and I, I, I appreciate actually, I think it's important for people to hear that, um, that that terminology is often used to silence us as well. So I appreciate that very much. So to follow up, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, the role of sort of Palestinian Black and Native solidarities and mapping the futures of Palestine and Turtle Island. Um, what do we need to keep in mind when thinking about these relationships? If you wanted to just say a little bit more. Yeah, I think what's for me very, very important is to map the future, but always in relationship to the past and, 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 and the present. For me, the past is very, very important. We haven't, we are not done yet with mapping the past and mapping all, you know, these uh, histories of violence, of dispossession or, and of oppression. Um, and these cartographies of the future, past, present, and I, 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 you know, I think, I don't know if there is a term that can include all, all of these times, but let's say multiple dimensions of, of cartographies, I think it's really um, important to also find ways of, of mapping these existence and coexistences. Um, also because the very idea of the map, the very idea or materiality of the map and of the archive is, is very much part of that colonizing forces. And I think it's very yeah, relevant to, to have that together with, along with other ways of, of mapping, other, other ways of capturing these spaces and these times that existed, existed in various ways. And I think this variety or this diverse way of coexisting are necessary to, to be integrated into the cartographies of solidarities, of coexistence, of being really together. Thank you. Um, so as a follow-up, um, we wanted to also ask you, when you think of Palestine, what gives you joy? What gives you hope? Um, what future do you dream of for Palestine and then also for Turtle Island? Palestinians. <laughs> I think Palestinians give me hope. <laughs> yeah, in the Turtle Island, really, the, the people who are there, who are, uh, who have always been voicing, you know, their, their struggle, their fights, uh, who have always been trying to 
uh, not only voice, but also expose, uh, uh, find ways of uh, creating these bridges with other people, these this solidarities, finding ways of creating, you know, a Palestinian archive, Palestinian maps, Palestinian um, really uh, evidences um, of existence. I think the people themselves, for me, are the major hope uh, that I see and I have. Um, so in thinking about this uh, map of the future, 2350, if you um, were to create a map of 2350, unbound to any particular place, what do you feel would be indispensable as you envision the process of map making or, or the end product? In other words, what would you absolutely want to include? I would like to exclude borders. For me, the very idea of border is also um, yeah, part of this colonial project, um, are part of these uh, colonial doctrines of dividing, of course, divide to reign, so div dividing territories, separating people, separate, separating ethnic, uh, let's say, groups, religions, um, uh, categorizing as well. So um, I would like to think, if I think of a future, I, I think this year, without a place, I would like to find ways to not include the borders um, and to really map a, a territory with that includes um, various ways of leaving the territory, meaning, you know, not only settler, settled uh, population, you know, semi-nomadic, nomadic people as well, that people, you know, as have been in my, at least in our continent, in an African country, continent, have always been uh, living, inhabiting this territory through the movement, through their own movement. And this, unfortunately, has been really disrupted heavily uh, and that's something that I would like to imagine and I would like to um, find ways to create cartographies that do not exclude or people that really exclude borders. We are just wondering how does your practice as an artist um, uh, or, and uh, an exhibitor uh, help you think of the imagined environments uh, which you mentioned at the beginning of the interview? Um, this is for me, the imagined environment is also like imagined narratives, you know, like environments that can be territorial, that can be visual, that can be textual, but also narrative and, 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 and stories and histories maybe, why not? Um, so the book, at least this is me, eh? and I'm not saying all books are like that. This is really my own experience. Um, I think I found because of of the sources that I'm working with, uh, it's very, very limiting. Uh, it's difficult to, but I think also because of the discipline. If you want to inscribe your work within the discipline of what we call history of history, then there are also um, methodologies or prescriptions, protocol that you have to know about, um, challenge if you want, but if you challenge them, you really need to have an argument and a way of evading that, that it, it should still be a book that is uh, adding to the histories of, in my case, colonialism. So I don't want to be disregarded because I use, you know, all, all kind of other methodologies, that, you know, you're all of a sudden, then you are, you are, this is not a valid book of history. I think this is for me very, very important to work, you know, with and against, but the with 
meaning that you challenge it, but you propose something that is then accepted within the discipline. That's for me very important. I don't know if I can do it with the second book, Colonial Toxicity, because of other issues that I mentioned earlier, you know, the absence of archival materials or the institutional archives, yeah. So for me, the exhibition really, really uh, is a space. Um, and also because I was trained as an architect uh, in my undergrad studies. So I, for me, space can be designed. Um, uh, videos can be manipulated. Photographs can be, can be changed. I don't um, use evidence as evidence, but I work, manipulate it and change it. And that's for me, or gives me the possibility to create this imagined or to, to imagine an otherwise, imagine another possibility of existence, coexistence, and to really suggest to visitors the, the complexity and to the, diff, the, the, the multiple reading or readings of these histories. And that's, it's, for me, it's really an emancipatory process. Um, and also, um, it, it allows me to open conversations with audiences that are very, very different from the one that, uh, of the book. That's a little bit how I see this um, opportunity of the exhibition. I'm not like an artist, I'm not a curator. Uh, at least this is, I, I, because of, I respect curators, I respect artists. Um, I am, I say, an exhibition maker. I make exhibitions. And with exhibitions, I try to tell other stories. Um, I do uh, allow myself to change these evidences. And I also, it's a topic, you know, it's really these archives as a subject and not as a source. And uh, so I do thematize uh, what I try to, to um, create with these audiovisual materials as well. I really appreciate um, uh, you talking about sort of how do we make our work, um, it, you know, and, and think critically about audiences in the process, right? Like audiences beyond academia, who are we speaking to? Who are we accountable to? Um, and it, it seems like, you know, exhibitions is, is one of those methodologies that allow us to, to kind of think more broadly. So that's really wonderful. Um, so uh, we wanted to kind of end the interview by asking you if there's anything else you'd like to share with us that we haven't talked about today. You've been so generous. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, but we just want to hear if there's anything else you want to touch on. I think the question of, uh, of hope is really, really important. And of um, you know, like almost uh, and like being maybe I, I use the term pharmacon. I think it's uh, it, it it makes more sense, no? Um, that the work we do um, can be used as a cure, but also as a poison at the same time. And I think this this equilibrium sometimes is very very difficult to to manage because lots of people can use this against you uh, because they think this is a political project uh, instead of um, thinking that this is a way of reading modernity and modernity cannot be divided or cannot be. Uh, 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 yeah, divided from coloniality, as you know, Mignolo said, there is no modernity without coloniality. 
So by um, addressing these modern projects, which is a colonial project, I think we do need to uh, come together and to um, have these uh, uh, networks of solidarity. Great. That it's a, a beautiful note to end on, I think. Um, I just want to say thank you. We, I learned a lot in this uh, interview. Uh, so thank you so much for your time and for being so generous with your knowledge and your thoughts and for being with, with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure, really. Thanks for listening to The World We Became, MapQuest 2350 the culmination of an experiment on the study of race and migration using speculative design and digital methods. We'd like to thank all of our participants from the 2021 Cartographies of Racial Justice Summer Institute at the Migrations Initiative of Cornell University with support from the Office of the Vice Provost of International Affairs, the Mario Ainaudi Center for International Studies, and the Mellon Foundation's Just Futures Initiative. You can learn more about the initiative at migrations.cornell.edu, where you can also find relevant links from this episode. Follow us at Global Cornell and hashtag Cornell Migrations. Original music was created by Jesse Scambati and David Gonzalez produced each episode. Much of the podcast is produced at Cornell University on the traditional homelands of the Cayuga Nation, and we recognize the Cayuga Nation's sovereignty and indigenous peoples who have lived and continue to live on this land. <laughs>